Hear that? It's the sound of you catching up on all the latest and greatest fintech news, trends, and updates thanks to Streetworthy, Yield Street's bi-weekly newsletter. Stay in the know with CEO Melinda Mahiri as he takes a closer look at what's happening in the fintech space, then breaks down what each story could mean for investors like you. Give your portfolio the edge it deserves and subscribe to Streetworthy on LinkedIn today. Welcome to The Yield, the official podcast of Yield Street. Every week, we bring you the latest market insights across our asset classes and products from subject matter experts. Our aim is to break the outdated mold of investing and help you add financial fuel to your ambitions through innovative investing products and strategies, typically unavailable to most investors. Realize your next level with The Yield. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. The views you are about to hear do not necessarily reflect the views of Yield Street. This podcast is intended to be strictly informational and is not intended to be and should not be construed as a research report, investment advice, or the offer or sale of securities or any investment product. Now, let's get into the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another Athena Art Finance Yield Street webinar called The Evolving Art World Nurturing Artistic Exploration. Let's get started with our discussion, aptly titled again, The Evolving Art World, Nurturing Artistic Exploration. In advance of introducing Vajan Christian, I wanted to start by saying that the shift in the typical brick and mortar way in which we look at and engage with art is not really a new phenomenon. While we all like to give COVID the credit for being the agent of change, and a force in making art and the engagement with more, be more accessible, this is really happening well before COVID started. It became part of our vocabulary well before then. Christian Lucien started his company Avant Art in 2015 with a blog, which has now led to collaborations with artists to create edition works of art and objects of art. Vajra Kingsley, who has always pushed the envelope in the stream, recently created the Green Lamp Group, to establish open discourses with an ecosystem within the arts. I will now turn the floor over to Vajra and Lucien and ask, what was the light bulb switch that led you to embark on your passion play? Vajra, why don't we start with you and then we can transfer over to Christian. Wow, uh, well, thank you for such a beautiful intro and it's, it's wonderful as virtual as this is to kind of reconnect with you as we've worked together over the years in many different facets. I mean, the light bulb switch, I wouldn't say it was an overnight thing. I, I think that having worked my whole career in such a diverse from foundation to working with artists to then being in media, there was always this undercurrent of wanting to know if there was a different way to do things. And I actually think that's, I've been really fortunate to in each job I've had, really be able to create a job for myself and not so much be working under a, a specific title. So when COVID hit, I really felt like I was gonna seize this opportunity to, to really look at how could I use my skill set to create a company that really facilitated artists and creatives in the ways that I had been forever, but hadn't really understood what a financial or entrepreneurial structure to that could look like. And Christian, who I'm just so honored to have on this call, because I feel like he really was one of the pioneers 
in terms of building a business model that directly worked with artists and really challenged the status quo of what a business could look like, not only within the art space, but within the commercial space and the fine art space. And that to me is a really interesting place that I'd love to uh, pass it over to you to talk a little bit more about because one of my questions going into this for you specifically was how you've maneuvered building such a successful business and now sustaining it given all of the restrictions that I'm sure you've encountered around production. So I have a million questions for you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you both for the intro. So I come from like a place where I didn't grow up in art. So my parents were no collectors. Like none of my friends were into art. I didn't came from a yeah, city where there were galleries or museums or whatever. So like to start when I got interested in art and I got interested to yeah, hip hop music, especially Kanye West. Yeah, where I'm a big fan. You won't hold that against you. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I got interested in it. And like, I think there's a lot of people right now, um, you couldn't, I couldn't visit art. I couldn't see art. I couldn't meet people. I couldn't meet artists. I couldn't meet galleries. So the only way for me to find art and get into this world was online. It was through social media. I was to yeah, in that way, connecting with people. And I started sharing art on, on Instagram and it became like really big. And from there on was like thinking also, because we, we had a lot of like young followers and think really technology and especially Instagram is like blowing the barrier for people to get into art. And I think, I think Instagram has been like, for everyone will admit it. Like you, if you hate it or love it, like it has a, has a big impact on the art world. And I think a lot of artists you see who are really popular right now know really good how to use Instagram. And you see it from like the galleries or whatever, like everybody knows how important it is right now. And I think when we saw that was also, yeah, we saw that more young people got, started to get into art. And then when you talk about that mix of like artists we have, like even behind me here, it's like a Josep Parla print, Keegan, there's a Thank Thomas Thank you for sharing, absolutely. Oh wait, there's a Thomas, Thomas Sanchez print, was a 72 year old artist. Uh, represented by Marlboro, like a fine art world gallery. And we also work with James Dean, we're coming more from like the comic. And we're really trying to find that like electric balance in a way that we work with more artists than only fine artists. Like we're trying really to combine it. And that's coming also from, I think, yeah, just being young. I mean, like I'm coming from like the Spotify generation where you can listen to Chopin, uh, Kanye West, Chief Keith, John Mayer and whatever, because we all had access to 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 listen to we didn't they didn't need to spend like 10 or 20 dollars to get like once like you needed to be album. right <laughs> album yeah yeah what what is it yeah. <laughs> to be right and i think i've been growing up with like a lot of like different kind of genres even if it's fashion or music or whatever so i think for a lot of people what we see is like also in the art world like young people are way more open to different things and are not being like, oh, I only buy art if it's from a Kagoshian artist or whatever. People like to combine it. And, and that's what we are also trying to do. We're trying to show new audiences, new artists. Um, Let's talk and, about that a little bit, because accessibility in the art world has always been a barrier to entry at every level. You know, if you're starting low and you want to get bigger, there's always been, and look, I come from the auction world where people thought, that you had to buy a ticket to walk into the auction house to go look at these works of art that were on display for a week and about to be sold, when in effect, you could walk right in, you didn't need any credentials, and you could get so up close to a work of art and ask somebody to take it off the wall. Unlike a museum, it could have been an incredibly great learning exercise. 
But that fear of the unknown and that fear of not knowing how to ask questions or to engage with the artists or the galleries, especially when sometimes it, for a short person like myself, the reception desk is so high, you can barely see the people on the other side of it to even begin to have a conversation. And so I think with what both of you are doing, uh, one with the internet and really allowing people to look at things on their own time, develop their own opinions, hear from other people immediate responses to even let them know that what they're thinking, it gives them confidence, right? If they're thinking something that somebody else is, they can start feeling much more confident about their own opinions and interpretations of what they're looking at. And then Vajra, to what you're doing, was really taking that to get another extreme, opening up that, that conversation, those discourses, those symposium, or symposia, I, I suppose it is, uh, to get more people involved, which I think COVID, you know, I was talking to somebody yesterday where all of this had been happening in the art world for so many, so many years, even decades. But nobody wanted to be the first person to jump on the step and go because that's a really scary thing. COVID forced everybody to do it at the same time and in the global environment. And so I'm just wondering what you both have felt. I mean, I know Vajra, your, your company's much younger, but I think you have felt the idea spurring in your brain for a long time. Um, how you feel that COVID may have like pushed things to the gate and, and I want to also go back to something that Bajra asked, because you're creating works of art, Christian. Has COVID really put a cramp on that, or have you been able to keep moving properly? So those are two different questions. So why don't we just go with like opening the conversation and cross-marketing and blending, and then we can go to your production side, because I think that's fascinating. Yeah. Well, I think just touching back to what Christian was saying about really speaking to these pipelines in the art market and the art world that have existed, that have kept these new channels, whether it be Instagram or blogs, as being more authoritative forms. And I think COVID has allowed them to be create almost a new pipeline of authority because it's forced it to be an acceptable space for work to be shown, for ideas to be shared. And yeah. that to me is is like the new, you know, the new space that we can really continue to build and hold the authority that it should have been holding for the last 10 years because the most some of the most amazing exchanges artist discoveries have happened because you know Hank Willis Thomas saw an artist that he was scrolling on at 3 a.m. and sent it to his gallery like those are important historical stories and you can't forget that like technology has this amazing no barriers so we, we need to embrace that. And I think Christian's business has done that from the ground up and it has taken time to gain the, you know, authority. And that's, I think, a, a question that, you know, Naomi is posing, you know, to you. And I'm, I'm that's an, an, a question that I had in terms of what was some of the struggle? Like, I'm sure you, you know, in the beginning, it wasn't easy. And I'd love to hear yeah. you know, how you persevered. Yeah, I think especially in the art world, I think you bring up Hank with his Thomas because when he started following like our page and we were thinking about doing this printing, doing print, and we just had like 300,000 followers but no website or whatever. And I, I asked Hank, I said like, hey, Hank, can I send you an email? And he was like, yeah, sure. And I said like, hey, do you want to do some prints or whatever? We, we never had, like we didn't even have a website or whatever. And he's like, oh, I like what you guys are doing, but like it's too early. And I think that's like you always start, especially if you don't have like a last name or you don't come from like 
whatever, like you, it's hard to work with big artists because the first thing what they do is like, which other artists are you working with? And that's totally understandable. And they look at what's the roster and think that's like a real struggle in the beginning. It's like, so you start working with artists that you know or meet on Instagram. They're like, oh yeah, let's do it. And then you start working with emerging artists. Uh, what we still do, we're still trying to combine it up, but the struggle to get to like more established artists has been like, I mean, it worked out finally, but it was definitely not easy. And um, yeah, that's I think uh, you need to have some luck also. But I think it's also like when you when you work with great artists, like the moment they give you a chance, you need to do everything right, basically, and mm -hmm. make sure that they're going to talk to Because what artists do is like, when you approach them, they are going to see which other artists you work with and they're going to call the other person that they know because artists have their own communities and they're going to ask like how was it working without art and then you need to be uh, so you need to do basically everything right like we always had like the first we made a lot of mistakes but like i think the one thing that we did really well was like our first rule was like artist first and it sounds really cliche or like maybe a little bit romantic or whatever but it's, it's really the case it's like we were like our instagram page was not big without artists dealers are cool and whatever but they wouldn't sell anything if there were no artists uh, and i think that's like a really important rule for like our business is like yeah just make sure the artist is happy you pay him the next day you pay him or her the next day i think that's also something what a lot of people in the art world don't do and it was a surprise to me also but like doing stuff like that is just so important because when i say artists will talk with other artists and you of course like a lot of other <laughs> struggles i mean there are a lot but I think definitely uh, getting to big artists, what finally worked out it has, been, uh, has been a challenge. How many artists are you working with now? Or how many artists are in your program that you work with? With some artists, we do repeat collabs. Uh, I don't know how many, but I think we've worked with more than 50, 50 artists now in like three, three Amazing. years. Amazing. Yeah, and then we're, like, it's also getting easier. Like, yeah, when you have established a brand and you've worked with good artists, people trust it more and that's how it works. Uh, coming back on the question about production, it definitely was difficult when there were lockdowns because we, we work with different kind of producers. So some in the States, some in Europe, all different countries, also in, in Asia. We do now one project. And yeah, it has been difficult when, when things were closing down. But yeah, we've also learned to find different routes, basically, to different producers because some were closed, some not. And I think that was like in a real benefit because when the UK was closed, like stuff in the US was still open. And so we have been like real creative on like production. And I think with the parlor print we did, like he's in New York and the first print that we did with him was in New York and that was closed down. And so we could do one in Germany and he could hence finish them in New York. So it was a little bit more expensive on shipping costs and stuff like that. But I just want to let everybody else out there know that Vajra's in Hawaii, I'm in New York and Christian's in Amsterdam. So yeah. we are just global right now, which is kind of incredible. Back to Vajra's, you know, comment about uh, technology. This never would have been able to happen had it not been for, you know, not COVID necessarily, but for the age of technology and, and getting people all over the world to come and view and talk and discuss this at the moment. It's kind of, kind of incredible. As I'm sitting here looking at her flowers and looking at your artwork for me, if you could see over here, it's very industrial, but I had to shut down my my shades because otherwise it'd be too dark. Not that it's not dark now. Yeah, but, what, um, also, what is also like really interesting of like what I've seen, like like being such an international business and like, yeah, not having like one location where we have a gallery where people can come by or whatever. It's like also with these lockdowns and um, 
the economy of different countries and stock markets that were going down or whatever. It's like at that time we were doing a lot of sales in China, for example. And like, so you could combine and focus on like different kind of regions right. when the opportunistic. Absolutely. Yeah. There were always, there was always a country who was doing fine, but we saw a big increase in China and Taiwan of people that bought works. So do you all think, I know we keep on going back to this and I think it's an important point, but you know, the art fairs were a place, and Vajra and I were just talking about this before, art fairs and, and the art exhibitions and all of that public access that we all once had to spur in ideas and activities and meet new artists or meet new collaborators, we really don't have anymore. These become platforms for us to kind of engage and do that. Are you finding that you are trying to find other applications to have these conversations outside of or, or solely with uh, technology, or can you get out there and, and bring everybody together in a way that's socially distanced, or does it really just have to be, you know, six well, countries apart? <laughs> I can speak a little to this as I've been in conversation with kind of a diverse group of individuals, everything from, you know, large experiential in the landscape events that were scheduled to happen and, and we still hope do happen. But I think that everyone really is looking, sorry, we've got a, a lot of people here on the ranch. I think that everyone is looking to taking chances and you know whether that's attempting to do a virtual gala or find ways to bring experiential components both make them viable and safe but also make them more digital and i think that that's what i'm really excited about is these larger media companies especially within the art space that haven't taken the big jump into investing in making amazing high quality content and i had the wonderful experience of working with josh bear on building out what i think in the next year will be an amazing HBO-like masterclass um, series of amazing interviews and great you know, auction art market insights. And I think that's something that we have, as we've all said on this call, been extremely behind in investing in. And that's what a big part of my company and what I wanna do are find these new ways of investing in culture that needs to be documented and brought to audiences in, in smart, intelligent ways that actually educates us and inspires us. And that's why, to me, Avant Art is one of the best examples of how that's really translated into real collectors. You know, in 10 years, how many people are gonna say, yeah, I got my first print and that's what gave me the bug or I got my first toy and it was, you know, People were saying, oh, that's a toy. And in, in three years, it was an object that was on a pedestal and in plexiglass. And, you know, it was the on the mantle. So I think that these are the important things to pay attention to. And that's what I'm really looking to those kinds of projects to get behind and fund and support. How, how, how do you feel about like the online viewing rooms? I hate or them. But I think that's because technology is running us and we're not designing it. You know, I think we're not being that innovative or thoughtful about our audience. And I think we're doing the best we can. And obviously we need to know what to push up against. But if you're just asking me, how do I feel after Art Basel or Freeze? It's not good. 
And listen, let's also remember how draining art fairs used to be. Like there's got to be a medium. Well, it's draining Uh, in a different way now. What do you think of the viewing rooms, Christian? I don't watch them anymore. Like I don't really, uh, especially not the art fairs. Like I just, I'm not like really interested in it. Yeah, uh, I've I've seen some like good viewing rooms with like great content around it. Like if you're really into an artist and you want to yeah. learn more about it, I've seen some great ones. But in general, it feels really desperate or something. And like, it, I, yeah. I think what I would say is that when you look at art, whether it's in a museum or a gallery in somebody's home or in an art fair, there's an energy around what you're looking at. You're not yeah. just in this this antiseptic space, which you have to be in a on a computer with one object just in a room for scale, really. Like you're looking at scale, you can't see the texture. I mean, technology is getting better where you can see certain textures and dynamics. But I I keep, you know, um, going back to this idea, when you're in a yoga class, you push yourself because of all the energy around you, right? Like part of it is that the energy there makes that moment different. And for me personally, the energy when I look at artwork changes when I'm with other people when I'm distracted by, or when I'm engaged with, or even when I'm just in this space that looks different from another one. And I think that's so missing now with these art fairs. I know that they have to do it. And I appreciate Tivaj's point that it is what it is and we have to figure out where it needs to go. But, you know, they want to support their programs. They want to get their artists out there. We had a very short time slot to push that envelope. And also just keep, you know, and, 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 Christian, for you, keeping your audience with you. Like you can't just drop out of sight because you can't lose the momentum that you had before COVID. Yeah. But I think, I don't know. I think like there's more to do around. I think what's great about the internet is like you, like you can reach way more people, right? I don't know. Why don't those like art fairs or whatever, like if they got an amazing Rusty Johnson painting, okay, maybe somebody cannot see it in person, but like a million people can see it basically because it's like you can push it online, right? And that's not possible in the real life. So there are possibilities that are not like are possible online that are not possible in real life. And I think like, I don't really see people really try try or something. To I think get it's this about becoming more, more innovative and smart about how we use the technology that is working and is impactful. And listen, it's all in the statistics and I'm not a technology person. I'm not a, you know, behind the scenes analytics, but I think that that's where the information is and that's where we can become smarter in terms of being more impactful with technology and how we inspire people instead of having them leaving an art, a digital art fair feeling almost deflated. And that's why I think this time is so important because it has been a humbling across the board. You know, no one hasn't had a reality check from this. So I think out of that reality check, it's why people like myself can reach out across the board to different individuals now and really start a conversation because there has been this leveling. And and that's what I'm, I'm really excited and hope that when in two years we are all global again, but we're taking this globalism and this new digital democracy, not with a grain of salt and realizing that it's, you know, how do we want to be experiencing and educating ourselves with art in the next 50 years? What we invest in now in the next five really can be a game changer. And whether that's models like super blue, like I hope they can open, you know, I'm, I've been yeah. so excited to see this and, 
And I think it's going to be an amazing model for the art world and the commercial world to embrace. You know, I also really hope Desert X can manifest this year because I think they're another example of really high quality experiential art in the landscape that can also take on a new digital component that they haven't been able to realize because that just wasn't a focus, which it will be now. I think I think that's also like a good example of like how popular art can be. Because I spoke when I was uh, in Doc Aitken's studio, he told me about like the piece he did on Desert X and it was like, so it's middle in the desert, it was a mirrored house. And he got asked for it and he was like, why should I put like a house in the desert? Like nobody's going to see it. Like nobody's coming to opening. Like it's not, it's not in New York. So, and he was like, okay, whatever, I'm going to do it. And like, then I think through Instagram and through like everything, like it was so popular, like so many people saw it and he got, and now he did one in Gestad, but like, it shows also like how small the art world sometimes is thinking that it's like, oh, it's only for like a few hundred people. Yeah, when you put those works and like use technology and Instagram and whatever, like it can become like really, really big and like bigger than so even artists are thinking. Yeah, talking about that and, and shifting it over to the global market, I'm curious because Christian, all of your work has always been or has it, I believe it's always been sold online. Yeah. Right. And so can you take us kind of walk us through that process of how your your website works for those of people out there that might be interested in looking at your site and understanding how they might be able to, I hate to use the word invest, but invest in a work of art. And, and then we can maybe, you know, branch out into a deeper conversation about that. Yeah. So we work with artists to get our own special pieces. So we are basically going to the artists with the conversations like we have a really big community and we like to do like really high quality editions. And yeah, we want to, we want to do also not only sell your editions, but also tell your story as an artist to a bigger audience. Basically, yeah, doing that part of like education and why people should invest in this artist, yes or no, or like why they should like it. And then we drop it always like on Wednesday, four o'clock. We, it's kind of like a supreme drop or whatever, uh, where we launch the artist and then you need to refresh the website like really quickly to get a piece basically and yeah most of our launches have like a really high demand kind of what i say like the supreme or palace where everyone was trying to score a score a work yes or no and also like people can do sign up so we already put it on the website and we do pre-order so when somebody really wants something like i know we also trying there are people that are really good collectors that we want to sell to who don't have the time on wednesday four o'clock to refresh the website basically um, Can you just, somebody so, just asked while you're talking about it, if you could just give them the, the website? Avantart.com. Avant with an E, art.com. Yes. Yeah, so we do kind of like, yeah, what I say, like people can sign up for an edition and then there, like we check, like if we email those people and let's say we do 50% pre-orders and 50% is going to be on the public lounge. So we also can make sure it's going, yeah, to, to the right collectors. Yeah, so um, I love this word investment because, you know, as, as I grew up in the art world, it was such a, the wrong vocabulary word to use. It was like, no one should ever invest in art. They should buy art because they love it. And it's true. You should buy art because you love it. You should also, and I think this speaks to what you're both doing, is really get educated and, and have conversations about art. You can certainly knee-jerk and buy anything you want, but really to develop and to engage in this space, I think I love the idea that you're having these educational programs, whatever they are, even if it's just a paragraph about something on the site, because I feel like 
we've lost a little bit of that in the 2000s where it became kind of like going to the best restaurant, going to the best gallery, what can I buy? And it really stopped. And I think, Vajra, maybe that's what you were sensing this, this, these situations where you can really explore the conversation, not just a fine art, because we're not only talking about fine art, but just how we want to go back in time and have everybody live a life that is not focused on art, but has art in your life in some way. And I don't know, Vajra, if there's something that's meaningful there for you and what you're trying to achieve. I mean, I think it speaks to the new language that I think needs to be developed around talking about art and what those channels of, uh, whether that is digital content or hiring curators that are more contemporary and can speak in a language that actually resonates with collectors, with new, uneducated or very highly educated. I think that it's critics and the concept of a critic has almost become stale. And we're sitting in, a, in an art world that is using terminology that I think has a lot of charged history. And I wanna create, and that's so much of what I'm trying to do for 2021, is a series of spaces held for people that I believe have the capacity on the art historical side, have the capacity on the entrepreneurial side, have the capacity on the creative side to really build business and, and smart business that has you know, these fundamental components in mind because I think so much of what we have built over since the 90s has been so investment driven that there was a lot of investment because the 70s and 80s were so rich in in real authentic history that, you know, the early 2000s, we kind of all felt like, okay, what is this? What is this bubble that we're holding on to? Because we don't actually identify and recognize it. So that's why, again, I think these big global shifts help us really um, be more open to, to creating these new types of businesses. And, you know, I'm sure I'm going to have just as many no's as anyone when they start something new, but that's what makes you who you are. And I think that it's it's been a great time to talk to people. Um, and it's also been a great time to hear how honest, you know, I've had some really wonderful no's because these people in their own way have come to realize that they wanna engage with the world in a different way. So it's definitely, um, as I, you know, I sound like a broken record, it is a great time to be doing what we're doing in terms of building something new and, and really trying to challenge challenge and, and benefit the status quo. I think that once people realize, you know, what people like Christian and I are doing in terms of trying to create a little bit more of a democratic space, that it's not threatening them. It will actually make them stronger because we are, we are adding to the diversity and bringing a whole group of individuals that wouldn't be at the table otherwise. We have to be thinking about them. We can't think that they're just gonna come to us because uh, you know we're so special and it's so important to be a culture vulture. Like, come on. Yeah, and it's interesting because while Athena is very much on the finance side of art, what the heart and soul of it really was to help people break down the barriers to actually invest their, their time in the art space, whether it's they're acquiring a work of art or, or wanting to use the works of art they have in their collection 
and gain liquidity from it so they can invest in these kinds of opportunities to really think smartly and differently about what it is that they're challenging themselves with, where they want to grow and how they want to grow. Of course, we always need works of art at the beginning in order to be able to bridge that gap financially. But I think you're right. It's, it's, it's looking at what you have and where you can steer in a, in a different kind of a way. And, and, and I'm hoping and I'm feeling that all these conversations, even pre-COVID, are, are growing our audience in a way that's not so siloed. Because I think, again, back in the G7, it became a little siloed, it became a little precious, and I think we're now, and we haven't for quite some time, breaking all that away. I think technology has helped. I think uh, companies like Athena have helped giving people access where they didn't have it before. I think Christian's, you know, editions help people look at art online on their own time and, and at our lower price point where you can get some of these amazing artists that work with some of these big box galleries where you wouldn't even feel, they wouldn't even, you know, they wouldn't feel comfortable walking into and asking what the price was. I think all these conversations are just opening. I think also like for what I also really like on like collectors and why I think also collecting is important and like selling art and stuff is because I think the moment when collectors start buying work or like giving or like spending serious amount of money on art, like they become like kind of like a football supporter of that artist. And I think that's like really important. I think, yeah, you see it with like some really big artists right now. I mean, if you hate or love him, but like somebody like Cause was like so big because he got so many supporters because he sold so many works of art to a lot of kids and they all became fan of him and like starting to go to his shows. And I mean, if you if if you want to do a big show and sell a lot of tickets, you should do a Cause show if you're a museum <laughs> because he got so many fans and supporters. And like that's the thing what's really changing right now is like you how more fans you have, how also how more important it becomes for your primary market or like even going to like blue chip galleries and stuff. And I think that's what you see is really changing, like how more collectors you have, like how better in a way. Uh, and that is all becoming because when you're buying a work, like you want that artist to do well, even if it's for sure. own but, Right. And, I mean, and the I idea that people don't care if things increase in value is really not valid. People always want whatever they buy, whether they're buying a home or a car or a work of art, they always want to see that. that yeah, and even if it's not it. even about the money, but it's like, I don't know, like if you buy a painting for $2,000 and it's worth 200 it's like cool story to tell. And it's like, uh, it's like great story. Like people, people trust you then if you have done like stuff like, it's like, it's not even that I'm like selling the painting or whatever, but like when you've done it, like people are, it's just, it's a great story. And it's like, also when you see an artist growing, I think that's like, that's also like amazing when you buy something like really cheap or whatever. And that artist is developing the career and you can help a little bit and you see how they grow. That's like really, yeah, really great. I think that it was a, a really big in when I was working with art news and top 200 collectors and getting to know some of them, and realize, to your point, collectors can be so impactful. And I think that given yeah. the last 12 months, collectors have really tried to find more direct ways to impact the artists that they want to support. And a collector has the capacity to go to a museum if they're on the board and, and majorly influence what's going on. I mean, Pamela Joyner is always my go-to example in terms of what she did at the Tate, in terms of demanding you know, actual curator and, and appropriate art history behind the artists that she supported before being involved. And I think that those are things that are so important right now that it should be more than just the collectors. You know, the collectors 
I thought were the ones that were being influenced by the art historian and the museums. And so it's, it's really amazing when you see collectors checking the institutions and checking the fine art world in terms of how they're holding up these barriers and not actually speaking to what contemporary art is. I mean, we could also go to the wonderful conversation, I don't know if anyone caught it, between Mark Porter and Adam Lindemann around museums deaccessioning work and like what the Baltimore Museum is doing because they want to be more relevant. And it's because their board of collectors and are, are influencing them saying, we want you to be more relevant. And so collectors are such an important part of the ecosystem and, and we're constantly learning from them because they are sometimes the even more diehard, uh, passionate patrons that, that will check the market. Yeah, so there was a question that came in as we're talking about this that I, I, I'm not quite sure how to answer, so I might just throw it back to both of you. And I think it was, it was derived from the cause because cause became such a cause, you know, the, the two different words. But like, do you see today's trending artists as fads or future blue chip artists? And no one has a crystal ball, so I know it's very hard to, to speak to that. But I almost think they started as fads, thinking that this wasn't going to really take hold the way it did. And then it, 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 it reared itself that way. I mean, some people go in with this idea, I'm going to create this opportunity. But I don't know what you both feel about that question. I think there's two components. One is definitely a mass cultural group coming behind an artist where you can't, you can't deny it. And then there's another thing that's much more market manipulation. And I think that there are two things happening at the same time that I don't think we have enough culture sociologists speaking to this and how it's happening because it is extremely nuanced. But that's, that's how I see it. I mean, cause wasn't in my wheelhouse of understanding. And I think I had to, and I'm, I know I'm not the only person in the room that probably feels this way. I had to come to understand cause. And I, I have to say it was through his collection, not through his work. And it was admiring his passion as a collector that then I came to understand from a much more sociological perspective, what his work meant and what it was all about, because I already was on the inside. So it was like I had to get outside to really understand this phenomenon. And so that's that would be my cause component. But I, I do think there are other artists that it is really sad that they are a factor of this up and down market and this manipulation, because like anything, you know, there is a business to it if if that's what you're looking at. And there is a manipulation of cause from what I know from like the people who manipulated. It's kind of like, I know somebody like who said also like, oh, I'm gonna buy, like I'm gonna buy cars, like a really, really big collector. I'm gonna buy a lot of cars because, and he was showing me the video what was happening in China at the Uniqlo market was one year before the big auction basically. And he's saying like, look what's going on, basically. Like this is somebody that's changing the rules of the game. It's like, who's getting like really relevant through Unico collaborations. It's never, never have been done before. And he was like, you, the young people are the ones, are the ones who are making the market for your older artists. And he said, and he was a big Warhol collector. He was like, do you know the genius thing of Warhol was? He, I was like, okay, what? He said, when Basquiat was idolizing Warhol, Warhol needed Basquiat more than Basquiat Warhol because Warhol needed the youth. He needed to stay relevant. 
uh, and he saw that with cars basically he was the youth is like talking about cars all the time yeah i mean you can ask like how much is about the art how like whatever but like he's definitely changing the game and i think it's definitely something where yeah the youth is like and the youth collectors are like very important for artist careers and i think yeah warhol I don't know if you guys have seen the Whitney Museum show of Warhol, but like he was such a genius in like so many years ahead of the game, I would say. And he yeah, was I social just media stopper, Sorry yeah. to cut you off, stop for one minute, because we only have a few minutes left and I want to make sure you both, first I want to thank you both because this conversation, clearly we knew we could all go on forever and ever, but I want to make sure to give you each a little last platform first to, to share anything you want to about your companies and organizations and then I'll, I'll sign off at the end. Well, I'm, I'm keeping it pretty secret over here. As I, I mentioned, we are trying to bring together in 2021 under what I will be calling an incubator series, some of the brightest contemporary minds, artists, curators, and everyone I will let you all know when, when I can share more. But as I'm building that, I'm really excited to continue having wonderful conversations like these to really further engage in building um, this series and making sure I'm not leaving any stone unturned. So Christian and I just have to say, it's been wonderful, you know, getting to know more about what you're doing. That was really the whole purpose. I just wanted to have a reason to <laughs> have a conversation with you because I, I really, what you've done is such a, a leading example for me and such a kind of a good lamp model, you know, the reason, that we've chosen the name Goodlamp is is because of my my Judd background and he has this amazing essay titled It's Hard to Find a Good Lamp and that was definitely the way I felt for the last 10 years is like how do I build a good a good chair um, that's honest and and will last and is humble and so so that's you know I'm we're trying to just be the best lamp we can be and also get to know all the other ones so we can remain a strong front. Yeah, I think that's really exciting that like, I mean, like you, there are like new people, like not new, but like there's a new energy, I feel. I mean, I think that's clearly have been in this conversation that there's kind of like a new energy where I think people are not like against the old art market. I'm not against like the old gallery system or whatever, I'm not at all. I think we've all admired them and like, admire a lot of these people but it's definitely there's definitely time where i think we all agree that it is too small of a world and it can be bigger and that everyone will benefit from it uh and i think that's definitely what yeah what i want to do with with often art is like being a leading platform in like this transformation in like making this world more bigger yeah more people interested in art more people buying art more people going to see art and also, also for the artists, I think that's also better for the artists. Like more artists will make work. I mean, artists will only start, the only art will be made if like also artists can do this full time and can work on the works. Okay. That's only if it's being- What's the upcoming print? I want to know what's next. <laughs> you won't share, but you share us all the details. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. And it's when Elm Green and Drug Set edition. Uh, it's a sculpture. I don't have it here, but uh, it's a really oh, exciting. One. Well, yeah. I want to thank you both for teaching an old dog new tricks, which I think every young and old dog needs to learn a trick or two. It's been a fascinating conversation. I, I love learning of these new platforms. And our parent company, Yield Street, is also a new platform that's trying to democratize the ability for people to invest in multiple platforms. 
There's an art platform up now. We have other ones. So I encourage all of you to go to yieldstreet.com to check those out. I've learned so much from this discussion. Raja, you've always had a good lamp on you. It's been <laughs> such a pleasure to be working with you, I think now for two or three years on so many innovative projects. I jump on your back all the time and go by your coattails. Christian, it's been a pleasure to learn from you. And I've shared your site with a lot of people. And I love that you're working with artists. And I love that the artists want to work with you. That's a great, great uh, pat on the back for the work that you do and the caliber of work that you do. I appreciate you both being here and look forward to future opportunities. And to our thank audience, you. thank you all for joining us and come back to Yield Street Athena Art Finance webinars. Hopefully you've learned something and we also look forward to ideas that you want to hear. So send those along to us as well. Have a nice day, everyone. And thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Yield. For the latest updates on the alternative investing space, go to yieldstreet.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed the show, feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts as this will help other investors like yourself find our show. If you have any questions, please visit us at yieldstreet.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next week. The Yield Street podcast you just heard only reflects the opinions of the host, who is an associated person of Yield Street and does not necessarily reflect the views of Yield Street or any of its affiliates or other associates. The podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be and should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any security and is not an offer or sale of any securities or investment products. The podcast is also not a research report and is not intended to be and should not be construed as investment advice. Support for this podcast comes from Yield Street. Trying to time the stock market can lead to regret. At Yield Street, our alternative investments are designed to create predictable secondary income streams, providing you with tools to help put your money to work immediately. These investments in asset classes like art, real estate, and legal finance typically have low correlation with the stock market and target annual yields up to 7 to 10%. Welcome to the next generation of investing. Welcome to Yield Street. Sign up today at yieldstreet.com.